Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest in best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, founder and executive director of Question Mark, the industry leader in assessment management software. Today, I'm really pleased to welcome Bernd Nielsen from Norway, who founded Data Quartet, who were also called ECDL Norway in 1996, and Norse in 2000. And they're now the leading test developer and supplier of national certification programs in Norway, with distribution through a unique network of 400 test centers around Norway, in addition to offering online proctoring. Bernd has worked with various standardization bodies focused on automation and IT on behalf of the Norwegian Engineering Industries Federation and serves as a board member for various international organizations. He's got a master's degree in telecom cryptography and also degrees in economy and pedagogics. Bernd was active in the first Lego League in the US and Scandinavia with the goal of having young people interested in STEM. Welcome, Bernd. Really pleased to have you on the podcast. Thank you, John. Nice to be here. So the question I tend to ask everybody is, how did you get into the assessment world in the first place? Oh, well, that, uh, that's a long story. I've always been interested in puzzles and riddles and solving problems like that. So, so in a way, it was a combination of my personal interest and business opportunities that I've seen from working with standardization issues for many years. And uh, how did it start in assessment? Well, it it was a a Scandinavian project where actually the idea came in Finland, as uh, probably people still remember, Nokia was a big uh, company uh, at the time. And it started as based on a a financial crisis in Finland, where they saw that they needed to to look at new ways of developing uh, their country. And and they they looked at IT as, as interesting at the time. This was early 90s. And they said they want to invest in IT, both as production and for IT skills of their uh, people. And and so the idea came up of of a standardized concept for IT training and, importantly, IT certification. So so we joined them in in a cooperation and we developed the concept of a computer driver's license. Like you have a license for driving a car, we we developed a license for driving the computer. So that that was actually the start of, of the business idea of testing. So a lot of what you did in the early days was to deliver tests uh, measuring computer skills. Yeah, and, and we started with diskettes, and it was quite a, <laughs> a funny, for today's standard, it was quite a funny project. We we sent literally hundreds of thousands of diskettes in the mail around Norway, and we had people sitting in, in big classrooms reading those diskettes and, and, and trying to, to see if the candidate had formatted the Word documents and spreadsheets and so on properly. Yes, no, we used to use a lot of floppy disks. We had a floppy disk copying machine at Question Mark in the early days. Yeah. Uh, but when you talk to people about that nowadays, they look at you blankly. Yeah. Uh, so so tell me, uh, I'm recording this podcast on a rainy day in uh, London, England. Where are you based? Well, I'm, I'm based from where you are, close to the North Pole. Uh, we're on top of Scandinavia, just five kilometers from the Russian border and way above the Arctic Circle. So now is the third week where we don't see the sun at all. So we have two months where we don't see the sun above the horizon. 
but it's beautiful outside. It's a blue sky, uh, no sun, but still the sky is like dusk and stars outside. I saw northern lights last night and I'm going skiing, cross-country skiing tonight, and I hope to see more northern lights. So it's a beautiful place to live. Wow, that sounds lovely. That really sounds lovely. I, I've been to visit you once uh, when it was summer and it was uh, daylight almost all the time. And I remember it's a beautiful part of the world. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the uh, different kinds of tests that Norse Tesk runs in Norway? We, we have a combination of our own products like the, the European Computer Diving License. And we have also contracts that's, uh, that we won for private uh, institutions and also public uh, institutions and our our main product today is the Norwegian Leisure Boat Certificate. Again, from, from the driver's license for the car, people know with Norway's long coastline, we have quite a high number of people in Norway using the Leisure Boat. And to drive this uh, you, you for a certain size of the boat, meaning most of the, the boats today, you need a driver's license for the boat. And, and uh, there's no practical test. It is a theoretical test. Uh, and we run the test through our nationwide network of test centers, and we have the national register for the boat owners or the boat drivers. Uh, uh, and we issue driver's license like a small plastic card and, and handle all the requests for this database. And for Norway, it's quite a big program. We have more than 400,000 people now in, in the system. Wow. What other tests do you uh, deliver or develop? Well, for, for again, for the public sector, we are doing tests for a public procurement specialist. We are doing tests for people staffing sun tanning studios, which is also an interesting business in Norway <laughs> with a long winter. Uh, for the private sector, we are doing anything from, from soccer or football referees, which are tested every year before they're allowed to, to do their job as a referee. And our major major product for the private sector is bank and insurance specialist who in Norway has to be approved. That means tested at a certain level before they are allowed to handle customers on a personal basis. So that, that's a big project for us. That sounds good. And for the football or the soccer referee program, I think you could uh, uh, do well to extend that to certain other countries where perhaps the refereeing could be improved, in my personal opinion. Uh, so, uh, so you provide a service business. And do you want to talk about what's important when you're running a testing service business if other people are thinking of doing it? What matters? Why do you think you've been successful for so many years? I think we're a bit special from some of your other partners because we don't test our own stuff. Many of the people People I meet on testing conferences and so on, they test their own staff. And, and I mean, if you test your own staff, they can't choose to take it or not take it. They have to take the test. We, in our projects, we're often selling the test and people can choose to do it or, or they don't want to do it. So, so, of course, we have to worry about design, uh, how it looks, how it feels for the candidate. We, we have to, of course, look at the price level where, where we can charge the right price. And, of course, we have to have a high service level. Even if we're in a small town in Norway, we, we, we maintain a high service level. We answer like simple things like taking the phone in lunch hour. We always answer when someone is calling. We work late Friday afternoon instead of going uh, on a long weekend and so on. So so, so we developed a high service level uh, product and services that, that we uh, we sell and, uh, and successfully so. We, we don't like competing in, in the low segment with, with the lowest price that's we want to be considered a high quality vendor and we've succeeded with that i think
And do you write the questions yourselves as part of the service, or do you help customers to, to write them? Well, basically, we, we write them ourselves, but we have developed a methodology for, for doing it. We, we have our own guidelines for developing good quality questions, uh, and we have a word form that we, we use to uh, communicate with the customers. Uh, and of course, we, we don't have our own subject matter experts in every field. In IT, we, we do it mostly in-house, but like bolting and public procurement, uh, it's the customer that have the deepest level of skill. So then we work together with them and, and do workshops with them uh, and teach them how to, to create good questions with our guidance. Uh, and of course, we monitor all the questions through the statistic features in, in question mark system that we're we can prove that we have good quality questions and and thereby helping the customer to understand what a good question should be like and constantly improve uh, the quality. That's very interesting. And what, what advice would you give other people who are creating these really quite high stakes assessments that people need to do to be safe? Anything you'd share with other people about good practices there? Yeah, well, uh, maybe two points. One is to be loyal to your methodology because customers often think that writing questions is easy, so, so they don't want to budget or, or plan in the time frame uh, too much time because they think that that's easy. And, and when we follow our methodology, they, they see that it works and it gives good quality questions. So firstly, we, we write a structured syllabus and we always refer to each and single question to a specific point in the syllabus so that we can document that we are covering the whole field of expertise, the whole syllabus in the test as we plan to. Another thing that is surprisingly difficult, I would say, is, is the terminology because Norway being a small country but a long country, we, we see that even in, in, in bigger cities, they, they use other words like public procurement. They have different terms for the same content, so to speak. So, so if you let people develop questions on their own we know the quality will not be as good as if we guide them and and usually we write a vocabulary or a list of terminology alongside with developing the test so we never use a word in a test if it's not described in, in the terminology list and that gives, uh, of course, a better quality. And m many customers appreciate that because they never thought about writing a structured syllabus and a terminology list. They just think that they can start writing questions. So that's, so that's very interesting. A glossary, a terminology list, I think is a very good practice. And I think a lot of organizations developing tests either do do it or, or should do it. So you agree the terminology list in advance with the customer before questions get written? Yeah, if we have our way, we'll do it in parallel. But sometimes the customers, are, we don't need it. And then as we go along, they usually realize that it's a good idea. So then we have to go back again and, and define it. Or maybe we as the test uh, developer or responsible for test development, we, we just start writing a list of, of words that we see are difficult to define. And then, of course, the, the experts at the customer usually will have to, to write the exact explanation. And do you test always in Norwegian or sometimes in English or other Scandinavian languages? Uh, any language that suits the customer's need or the project. We, we have tests in many different languages. Uh, and do you work in other countries as well as in, in Norway? Uh, we used to. We actually had quite a big business in Russia. Like I said, we're five kilometers from the Russian border. So so for us, it was easy. We had local people who are fluent in mm. Russian and so on. So we had, I think, at the time, 60 test centers around in, in Russia. Uh, and we've been working in Tunisia and other 
nice countries, but far away from Norway. We've done projects uh, in Ireland too, but but for the time being, we we have almost all activity in Norway. So uh, even if we're close to Danish and Sweden, uh, we have some customers there, but or some students from there, but but usually or mainly Norwegian customers uh, today. But if somebody does want a testing project and they want to deliver it online, they they could potentially talk to you. Sure, we have that occasionally. So so we are set up to do it and have experience in doing it. And we have partners and some test centers around in the other Scandinavian countries too. So we can offer on-site test centers also if if that is required. So, Bern, uh, do you want to just maybe talk us talk me through one of your programs, maybe perhaps the banking program a little bit uh, more, and just explain the sort of whole life cycle of it. Yeah, the, the it, banking is is interesting because it developed from from the first meeting we had, and that maybe ten twelve years ago when we had a request saying, "Can you can you have this one single test as an online service for us?" And of course, we we said yes, and and show them how they could do it. And now we have, I think, twenty twenty five different tests running. And we also see in different levels, like they have the basic level, they have the more advanced level and so on. And it's also been an interesting challenge to integrate with teaching, like e-learning and classroom and personal guidance and personal monitoring of the candidates. So so for some diplomas, they have to, to show their performance in customer meetings. And there's a third party, a proctor, watching them and taking notes and registering how they perform in a customer meeting before they, they are approved. And that's been a challenge uh, uh, to integrate all of these uh, different activities in a single uh, certification program that we are, are running. And, and of course, we make dashboard solutions for the, the, the organization for banking, but we also have to make kind of a monitoring or dashboard service for all their local banks that uh, are part of the system. So the bank can see for their own staff at their level, uh, the status of how many passed the test, what is the, when do they need to upgrade uh, and so on. When somebody's observing somebody in a customer meeting, how do you deal with the scoring for that and making sure that it's fair for different people? Uh, well, the bank people are, are very good in, in structuring the, the, their works. So they have quite uh, specific guidelines on, on what they are looking for and how the, the, the bank uh, expert or, or insurance expert have to behave to, to be approved. So so, so we, we made administration solution for them where they, they tick off if they passed or didn't pass. And of course, our system then takes this in consideration with if they passed the test and, and so on. And when we started again, the, the, I remember this union of banks, they said, oh, we only have, I think, four or five demands. If you pass this test and you have been employed for this long, you, you get the diploma. I think now we have uh, maybe a hundred questions that we have to check for the different candidates and so on. So it's quite a complex uh, system in the back office to, to monitor all these uh, candidates and see if they are uh, qualified or not. And how has COVID impacted your operation? First, COVID was dramatic because it closed all our test centers. And again, with 400 test centers, they generate a very big part of our income. And we actually had to look at our bank accounts and see how long we could survive because, well, the income just stopped overnight. 
But fortunately, we had uh, previous to this, we had developed our online proctoring system uh, to handle uh, travel uh, or, or to, to take away the need for traveling in Norway. Since being a, a long and, and windy country, people often travel long distances. Uh, so we have we had our online proctoring system up and running, and um, when when COVID uh, struck us, of course, people saw that for uh, protecting people from being uh, getting the disease, online proctoring was perfect. So so uh, it took maybe two months before the test centers were up and running again with limitations on how many people and so on. But but now we are doing both in parallel. And so this year seems to be uh, or looking to be a very good year for our business. And how do you think things are going to go in future? Do you see the test center declining and online proctoring increasing? Or do you see them both going hand in hand or... How do you see that? I think that they issue? will go hand in hand because, of course, there's a cost issue with online proctoring. Uh, if you have a local test center, you, you can have 30 people in the room and one person watching them. Online proctoring, we have a, usually a limit of four people. So so the price per person will be higher for online proctoring. So so it's hard to, to, to compete with the local uh, centers. Uh, but we, we see the need for like for for uh, disease control, like we have now with the COVID. But still, when that is solved, we see some customers when they have demonstrated online proctoring, they, they, they like the the integrity. The, the, the they don't like that the trainer doing a, a course for a candidate also will do, be monitoring them when they doing the exam. So they like to split that process of teaching and testing. And that makes uh, the online proctoring a good product uh, for the years to come, in, in addition to the test centers. So you think it'd basically be a bit of one and a bit of the other. Do you feel that people cheat more with online proctoring or at test centers, or is cheating very low in your tests generally, or is there not much difference? That's an interesting question because um, I, I always try to raise the question of cheating with my customers. And I usually say that I know that soccer referees cheat, bank people cheat, boat owners cheat. I know any test we have, we have seen people cheating. But but the customers often say, well, but my people, they don't cheat. So, so we don't need security <laughs> level. And especially if it costs extra, they don't want it. So, so, so I see when people are testing their own members or their own staff, they are reluctant to have strict measures for cheating. Uh, when we are doing the... The public procurement test where the authorities set uh, a standard and they are testing people outside their own organization, they are more accepted on doing strict test control. And then, of course, uh, we think online proctoring has a higher level of integrity than doing it on a test center. We, we, don't, we don't have any personal relations to the students. We record their screen. We record video of what they're doing double video, uh, and that makes people more uh, afraid to cheat uh, because they know it will be recorded and documented if they, they try it. So, so I think the level of cheating is much less on uh, online proctoring. And would you have any advice to anybody else about how to reduce cheating in exam programs? Well, it's hard when you have the test centers. I mean, you can call it cheating in one way, being cheating for a candidate that is fooling the, the, the local proctor or, or the, uh, the the guy or girl watching them. And you have another kind of cheating, which is helping the candidate, uh, which we see, especially in the boating world, where, where you have a, a friendly 
uh, instructor who's been uh, training the people and he wants to help them and he goes around and says, do you have any problems? And they, they are maybe not uh, wanting to help them, but in the way they are answering the questions, they are in fact helping them. So, so essentially a remote proctor who's not in the room with the candidate Gives a yeah, better yeah. security. I, I'm, I'm quite confident that yeah. that is so. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, I think you're right there. So let's uh, try and look into the future. How do you see the future of testing or testing changing over the next few years? I think we'll see more testing. Um, in our philosophy, I, I used to say we, we're selling cars. It's like we're selling testing services like you're selling cars. We are, we are selling small cars, big cars, fast cars, and so on. So we, we, the customer can have, have any car they like. And all, of course, all wants electric cars. So, so we'll just... Adapt the system. We have we have systems for payment. We have systems calendars for scheduling tests. We have national registered. We issue plastic cards. So so we can we can adjust the program to to any need. Uh, and I see uh, that people more and more want to be flexible. Uh, they they want to recruit more people. They're not sure what level of skills they have and so on. Uh, and uh, the market is, everything is going faster. And and then it's much easier. To, to have them pass a test uh, than uh, instead of asking them what kind of degree did you get 20, 30 years ago when you finished school. Uh, skills are, are more up-to-date now. Or you need to test people more frequently as the world is changing faster and faster. So I think the testing business will, will grow in the future. And uh, I'd, I would imagine your answer would be yes, but do you think you're adding value to the economy by having this efficient system for uh, checking skills? Oh, oh, sure. I mean, my biggest frustration in, in the market is uh, we have several national uh, regulations or training programs which does not take into account the level of skills the candidates have, especially on, on accounting is my frustration in Norway. To, to be a registered accountant, you, you have to take I think it's 12 days of training every second year or something. It doesn't matter how good you are and, and what you've done before, you have to log 12 days of training. And of course, that means you're out of business, you're not making money, you might have to travel to a bigger city to do the training. And we are trying to convince them that instead of doing the 12 days of training, you can test people. If they fail the test, they prove they need training. If they pass the test, they prove they don't need training. So why waste society and business companies' time on doing training for someone who, who we can prove doesn't need it. Yeah, no, we see we see a lot of organisations around the world uh, doing they call it they call it testing out of training. That if they pass the test, they don't need to do the training, and it sort of saves a lot of time and energy. So I, I, I agree with you there. I've heard you talk before about anonymous testing that you get people to take tests anonymously to identify how well an organisation is or something. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Uh, yes, we, we've seen that anonymous test is helping to get um, access to an organization because especially in the IT skills, which we have been doing for, for 20 years, when we started doing IT skills testing, people accepted that there was a need for this. But today they think they don't have a need. They think everyone knows how to use the computer. So what, what we've been quite successful with is saying, okay, if we do an anonymous test and even we don't have to charge for it, if the results are what you think that everyone have the IT skills, we won't bother you again. If the results show what we think that 
typically one third of the organization have very poor IT skills. We have to talk on, on how to solve this and, of course, do a certification program. And, and we see that the candidates themselves, if they know that the results will be anonymous, they are much more eager to participate. We have up to 90% participation on the anonymous test. If we do full name test the first time, we have maybe 50% participating. Uh, so we see that the first introduction test, so to speak, for the organization, they don't need to know who passed and who failed. They just want a report on the organization as such. And then the individual name doesn't mean anything. And, and then anonymous test is working very well. So a good way to sort of audit things in an area where people think they know but may not know. Yeah, yeah. And we often combine that with saying if you if you pass the first uh, diagnostic test, we call it, uh, you're okay, you can go back to work. I- if you fail it, we, we can link to an, an e-learning concept, which we call nano-learning, which means that you have small learning uh, bits that, that is combined to the questions where you had the wrong answer. And that's a very efficient way of doing it. And of course, we want to end up and we recommend that the organization ends up with a non-anonymous test. They, they need to know, typically 10% of them f- fails the, the second test. 10% of them typically doesn't have the right skills. And as a manager, you need to know who these people are because you can't have them. You can't have them in your organization not being able to do the job. So, so then they need to know uh, which persons they are. Very interesting indeed. Anything you'd like people to take away as a sort of advice you'd give, either some mistake to avoid or something positive to do if you're people, other people coming into testing or not as experienced as you in testing? Well, as always in the business, you have to be listening to the customer and seeing what their needs are. And it's sometimes they don't they're not able to describe their needs. They just know they need something. So, and again, we have a very flexible system. So we, we can guide them and try to find a solution that, that suits their needs. So listen to your customer. That's probably a very good piece of advice. So I think you said you got into testing partly because you were very interested in riddles and cryptography. How's that worked out for you over the time? Uh, and do you still think that there's anything to do with uh, riddles within the testing world? Well, I have one for you if you like to hear it. I'd love to hear it, yes. <laughs> okay. I love puzzles and riddles. So my question to you is, from chicken is being way above the Arctic Circle, how can you mathematically prove that we are the most central location in the world? How can we mathematically prove that Kirkenes is the most central location in the world? I don't know. Why don't you tell me? Well, it's easy. If you take the map and spread it on the table and you take a pair of compasses and you put the point in Chirkenes and you draw a circle around Chirkenes, and no matter how big the circle you draw, Chirkenes will be in the center. Is that right? That's right. Okay. It might work other places too, but, but I'm focusing on Chirkenes. Oh. <laughs> oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Thank you. So, Bern, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to hear from you and to learn about your experiences. Same to you, John. Been a pleasure being with you. So thank you, all our audience. Please reach out to me directly at johnaquestionmark.com with any questions, comments, or if you'd like to keep the conversation going. You can also visit the Question Mark website at questionmark.com to register for any of our many best practice webinars we host monthly. Thanks again, and please tune in for another exciting podcast discussion we'll be releasing shortly.